Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Educating Investors Podcast. My name is Scott Peterson, Financial Advisor of Harmony Wealth Management. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode. Is this a turning point for Europe? I believe that educated investors equal successful investors. The goal of this podcast is to help to educate as many individuals as possible on markets, the economy, and financial planning topics. A lot of interesting developments have happened with the European Union over the last few weeks. What does it mean for the economy and investing in Europe? There were initial concerns about the amount of fiscal and monetary relief that was being provided by the EU and the ECB to confront the economic impact of the coronavirus in Europe. In Europe, early government stimulus plans were underwhelming and the European Central Bank initially dithered, hobbled by internal divisions among Eurozone members. It was a slow start that recalled the bloc's halting response to the 2008 financial crisis and the ensuing sovereign debt crisis. With Europe's economy contracting more than that of the U.S., investors were worried it wouldn't be enough. However, at the end of May, the European Union set out a $2 trillion coronavirus response plan, including a massive pooling of national financial resources that, if approved, would deepen the bloc's economic union in a way that even the Eurozone debt crisis failed to achieve. The coronavirus response plan consists of a 750 billion euro recovery plan and 1.1 trillion dollar euro budget over the next seven years that aims to lift the region from its economic slump but must overcome infighting dividing the bloc the proposal came about from the european commission after germany and france announced a similar plan that would be funded by commonly issued debt the eu aims to provide a massive fiscal injection for the bloc's hardest hit countries without increasing the already soaring debt levels of southern nations, including Italy, Spain, and Greece. The Eurozone economy shrank by 14.4% in the first quarter on an annualized basis, with Germany contracting by around 9%, and France, Italy, Spain shrinking by around 20%. That compares with a 5% first quarter contraction in the United States. Some are calling this a possible Hamiltonian moment, comparable to the 1790 agreement between Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson on public borrowing, which helped to turn the United States, a confederation with little central government, into a genuine political federation. The EU would go to the international capital markets to raise 750 billion euros. The European Commission, which has a AAA credit rating, would issue the debt to raise the funds. 500 billion euros of that would be given to member states as grants to fund economic recovery over the next seven years. The 500 billion euros to be distributed as grants to all countries based on their recovery needs, with Italy getting the biggest slice and Spain the second biggest. This means the money would be free, with no repayment demanded and no strings attached, and would not count toward national debt levels. The remainder would be issued as loans to be paid back to Brussels. The 250 billion euros would be made available in the form of loans to countries that apply for them, coming with more scrutiny and conditions, and would be added to a country's debt load. The EU would pay back its bondholders for the full 750 billion euros plus interest by 2058, in part by raising new EU-wide taxes on tech companies and emissions. The plan requires unanimous approval from the parliaments of all 27 EU member states. Everyone agrees that this is a crisis without precedent, but there are several blocks of countries with divergent interests on how to respond to it. A group of northern European countries known as the Frugal Four, which include Netherlands, Sweden, Austria, and Denmark, have questioned the plan. They want to avoid the political risk of putting their taxpayers on the hook to repay EU debt issued to fund major spending elsewhere. Their governments, which have relatively low debt levels and sound finances, oppose giving away so much of the money as grants, 
particularly to countries they worry are fiscally irresponsible and they are wary of new EU-wide taxation powers. Countries like Spain and Italy, which bore the brunt of the pandemic's public health and economic impacts, love the plan. They are already highly indebted, which means they have less room to spend or raise cash of their own to reboot their economies. In their view, if the EU is really a union, then it should show solidarity in a time of crisis. Swift lockdowns contained the virus effectively in most former Eastern Bloc countries like Hungary, Poland, the Czech Republic, Croatia, and the Baltics. But the economic hit has been severe as their economies are based on export and tourism. These countries, which also lack deep pockets, want to make sure they don't get overlooked and favor the more visibly COVID-impacted Southerners. So what does this mean? Many compromises will be needed between these different EU constituents in order to get the unanimous approval from the parliaments of all 27 EU member states. The biggest fights are likely to arise over splits between grants and loans, what strings are attached, and how to win over the EU's newer, poorer members in its east. While this would be a one-time action prompted by the massive economic shock caused by the coronavirus, the proposal could help to address a structural problem that has dogged the EU and its 19-country eurozone, the two-tier split between wealthy countries and cash-strapped ones, and begin the process of deepening the bloc's economic union. It is not just the EU, but member countries of the euro area as well that are providing additional fiscal relief and stimulus to their own countries. Germany adopted its second economic stimulus package since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, bringing their total cost to 1.3 trillion euros, by far the largest in Europe as a share of gross domestic product. Years of budget surpluses and negative borrowing costs have allowed Germany to rapidly deploy a vast protective shield to cushion the impact of the pandemic on their economy. On the monetary policy side, the European Central Bank, the ECB, continues to extend easy monetary policy. On Thursday, June 5th, the ECB said it would buy up to 1.35 trillion euros of eurozone government and corporate debt through June 2021, expanding and extending on an existing 750 billion euro bond buying program. Also, the ECB said it would roll over maturing bonds bought under its new bond buying program known as the Pandemic Emergency Purchase Program, or PEP, through the end of 2022. The bank left its key interest rate unchanged at a minus 0.5%. The ECB's latest move should help to absorb much of the 1 trillion euros or more of additional debt the Eurozone government are expected to issue this year as they battle the coronavirus pandemic. This is all happening at a time, obviously, when the economic projection for the Euro area is getting worse due to the coronavirus. The ECB updated its economic forecast and said it's now expected the Eurozone economy to contract by 8.7% this year before rebounding to 5.2% growth in 2021 and 3.3% in 2022. The projections are significantly worse than the ECB's own forecast in March. The central bank also said headline inflation was expected to be 0.3% in 2020 and 0.8% in 2021, well below the bank's mandated drive to inflation close but below 2%. The continued fiscal and monetary policy being thrown at the economic slowdown caused by the coronavirus pandemic is a positive for the euro area, but there is an immediate issue that could cause havoc, and that is the continuing negotiation between the EU with the UK in the terms of their future relationship and trade deal. UK legally left the EU on January 31st, but has been since then in a transition period with the same rights and obligations of any member state, save for the presence and institutions where decisions are being made. The 
The U.K. reiterated on Friday, two weeks before the expiration of a deadline upon which it had to make its intentions clear, that it would not seek an extension of the current extension period that binds the country to the European Union until December 31st. In 2018, the EU accounted for 45% of U.K. exports and 53% of their imports. With a trade deal of huge complexity to negotiate, the European Union and the U.K. have yet to agree even on the basic elements of an accord including whether there should be a single overarching agreement with one set of rules and oversight or multiple smaller ones. Friday's announcement increases the likelihood of the transition period ending with a no-deal Brexit, meaning an exit from the European Union without an agreement in place. British negotiators, citing trade precedents, want a series of separate agreements including on trade terms, law enforcement, fisheries, aviation, and civil nuclear cooperation each with their own set of rules and separate bodies to govern compliance. The EU has insisted on one agreement with one set of rules and a single governance structure maximizing the leverage the bloc would have if Britain failed to comply with some parts of the agreement. Even with an agreement, bilateral trade worth 670 billion euros last year will face many new bureaucratic obstacles without an accord. Trade experts expect ports to be clogged by dozens of new custom rules and other checks. So we discussed the potential positives of continued fiscal and monetary policy of the EU and ECB respectively, and the potential negative of the UK leaving the transition period with the EU at the end of the year with no trade deal. How does the valuation and earnings growth of Europe compare with that of the US? According to your Denny research as of June 12, the current forward PE for Europe is 16.6 times versus the US at 22.4 times. Earnings growth for Europe is estimated at a negative 27.9% for 2020 and 31.8% in 2021 versus the U.S. at a negative 20.3% for 2020 and 27.8% for 2021. So the European markets are cheaper versus the U.S. based on their forward P.E. ratios with similar earnings growth. From a diversification standpoint, investors should have exposure to both domestic and foreign stock, including European equities, based on their personal asset allocation. There are periods of time where foreign stocks outperform domestic stocks and when domestic stocks outperform foreign stocks. If you're unsure what level of exposure of foreign equities that you should have in your portfolio, work with a financial advisor that can help you build the appropriate amount of foreign equity exposure based on your personal portfolio asset allocation. This completes this episode of the Educating Investors podcast. I know that the time is an important asset for everybody, so I appreciate you taking a part of your day to listen. If you enjoyed the content of this podcast, feel free to share this with other friends and family that may be interested. Also, feel free to check out my website at www.harmonywealthmanagement.com to learn more about what I do as well as to find my contact information and links to my LinkedIn page and blog. The Educating Investors podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The information presented on the Educating Investors podcast should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The Educating Investors podcast, its host Scott Peterson, and his firm Harmony Wealth Management LLC should not be held liable for any losses resulting from investment decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on the Educating Investors podcast show.